three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 401. Welcome in. Uh, a couple changes in the studio to start the show today. To my, see, if you're watching, it's my right if you're watching in YouTube. It's actually my left in real life. I got a new shelf. It was fairly cheap. It holds my video game consoles. It's fantastic. I got my Xbox set up, my Switch set up finally. Like, three months after moving, finally, like, my, my video game consoles are set up. That's been really cool. Uh, and then also today, I'm wearing a a shirt with a bunch of tiny Tua's all over it. He's got one in his jersey, a couple of sh- shots of his face. Um, I've never had a good occasion to really wear a Tua shirt. Like, this shirt I've had, actually, for, like, months. And it doesn't fit that great. I've never been sure when to wear it. It's kind of a... Like, can you wear... Like, I guess I could wear this wherever I want, really. I'm a human. I, I don't know. Why do I care? But um, today felt like the perfect time to finally wear this shirt for the first time. And uh, that'll be very self-evident in a moment. NFL Week 7 was a fairly ugly week of football. Uh, there is a lot to recap, though. We'll talk about the Bengals. We will talk about Kansas City. All kinds of great stuff in the NFL world. We will end the show with Ask Zach. Actually, that's not true. Ask Zach will be second to last. There's a very healthy amount of questions there. The very end of the show, I'm going to put a topic about Formula One, and it's buried at the end, so you can skip it if you want to. I know I'm one of the only Americans who deeply loves F1, and I know that a lot of people don't care about that, so it's buried at the end. Uh, But I want to start with this today. We need to talk about Miami Dolphins quarterback Tua Tungvaloa. Uh, And look, it's very clear. I, I do not keep it a secret. I'm a big fan of Tua. However, I also know that I've been very, very fair with the way I've covered him. When he screws up, I call it out. I, I'm very, very honest. I try to be as fair as I possibly can. And uh, despite liking him as a human being, when he struggles on the field, got no problem pointing that out. And I have been patient. I have taken my time. And I've always tried to cover both sides. Uh, you know, people who support Tua and then also understanding the people who want Miami to move on from Tua. And when you listen and you learn and you understand the arguments on both sides— Doing that has helped me pick a side here. Finally, like, I I know what to do with Tua. And I got to be honest, it's ridiculous that Miami is considering moving on from Tua Tungvaloa. I I cannot understand it. That's not true. I can understand it, but I don't think it's right. And we keep hearing rumors that Miami may trade for Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson. And it's really, really frustrating watching Miami consider giving up on Tua when they haven't really supported him properly. And, man, I look at Miami. <laughs> Tua is not the problem in Miami. Like, quarterback is a thing you got a problem with? Like, on the list of things that are wrong with Miami, you say a lot of stuff before you finally get to, oh, yeah, Tua could play better. The offensive line is awful. And the defense is dead last in the NFL. Play calling has been bad. There was a play third and three from like the 32-yard line against Atlanta this past weekend. And they call like basically two. It wasn't really a hitch. It was like basically, hey, Mike Gusecki, run six yards, turn around, and post up. And both sides have the same route concept. It's not really a route. It's like a goal line fade, except you're not on the goal line. So I'm not kidding. Mike Gusecki ran six yards. Tua had to like, he had no, and, and I, you watch the play. Tua has no real options on the play. Mike Gusecki turns, and he throws him like a, a, like a jump ball six yards downfield. I don't know what the heck that is. That's a terrible play design. Or 
I watched an interception, was it two weeks ago, where it looked like Tua made a terrible throw, threw right at a defender, and I, I get it. Like, if he's going to throw that ball, he should have put more air under it. But how many times have you watched Miami this year? I've watched it a bunch, and Tua has two receivers downfield. The run play action, he's got two options and a check down, that's it. And I'm like, what kind of play calling is this? You're not giving your quarterback a good chance to succeed that way. And Miami has a tight end, Mike Gusecki, I like him. They have Jalen Waddell in the slot. What Miami does not have is a true top receiver on the outside. So I look at what Miami has, bad defense, bad offensive line, no true number one receiver outside. Tua is not the best quarterback in the NFL. Absolutely. But man, Tua has not been put in a position to do well. I watched the Atlanta game this weekend. Miami lost 28-30. to Tua was 32 of 40 passing with 291 yards, four touchdowns, and two interceptions. And yeah, Tua made two bad decisions all game. I admit that. Let's talk about the negative first. Uh, he got picked off both times. He made a bad throw. He had an interception in the end zone, was trying to throw a corner out, safety sitting right there waiting. I don't really know what window he was trying to put it into. Uh, he's basically forcing a throw into coverage. You just got to take the underneath route that's open. That's a bad interception. Interception number two, two is getting sacked. He's getting pulled to the ground. He's trying to do too much. He tries to throw the ball as he's getting pulled down to the ground. And uh, as he gets hit, the ball goes high, it sails high, gets picked off. That's Tua, again, trying to force it, trying to do too much, trying to not take a sack there. Eat it, take a sack. Do not make a bad play worse by throwing an interception there. Especially, it was right after Miami got a big turnover. So it's like, oh, a really high and then a really low low. Tua is not perfect. I want to be clear. That's not the point here. But here's the good news about Tua. The mistakes he's making are fixable. I don't understand why people are so eager to give up on Tua rather than teach him how to play quarterback better. The guy's only started 13 games in his NFL career. By the way, he's playing with fractured ribs right now. And nobody seems to respect that fact at all. And against Atlanta last weekend, I guess this weekend, week seven, Tua led not one but two fourth quarter touchdown drives to give his team a 28 to 27 lead with two minutes left in the game. Tua did enough to win this past weekend. And yet still all we're hearing is they want to replace him. Now, the defense was the problem. The defense couldn't stop Matt Ryan at the end of the game, yet people are blaming Tua. And I understand why Miami wants to make a trade for Houston quarterback Deshaun Watson. I get it. It's not because Tua's bad. Tua's not amazing. And I, I, the argument I have always made is, well, it, maybe Miami doesn't like Tua's potential. He doesn't have a crazy big arm. He can't run for, like, 40-yard gains. However... Neither could Drew Brees. And I think the best comp you can make with Tua is Drew Brees. It took a while for Drew Brees to figure out how to master the NFL. I don't think it's fair to criticize Tua for not mastering the NFL. 13 starts into his NFL career. He's played 14 games total. He had one game where Ryan Fitzpatrick started. He came in at the end, was two for two with nine yards. The reason why Miami wants to trade Tua away or, or maybe trade for Deshaun Watson is a better way to say that. Miami's GM wants somebody to blame. Like, fixing your defense and your offensive line, getting a good play caller, getting a top receiver on the outside, all of that is hard work. God forbid 
somebody make actually good trades and draft good players. It's way easier to say, Tua's the problem, let's blame Tua. To me, it's a lazy general manager who would rather blame Tua than actually fit the real problem, fix the real problems in Miami. The root of the problem is not the starting quarterback. <laughs> that defense is awful. The offensive line is terrible. Go ahead, make a trade for Deshaun Watson. Like, off the field issues aside, there's all, that's a whole can of worms I don't want to get into. But Deshaun Watson cannot fix bad play calling. He can't fix the offensive line. He's a quarterback. Deshaun Watson cannot catch passes. He can't fix the defense. He can run better. He's got a, a stronger arm, runs around more. I, I think based on the allegations, I'm like, well, I'd rather have Tua as a human being. That's, uh, but again, innocent till proven guilty, I guess. It's uncomfortable to me. But here's what's weird. Does everybody forget that Deshaun Watson was on a bad football team last year in Houston? How many games did Deshaun Watson win last year? Uh, oh, he went 4-12. and 12. So Deshaun Watson could not fix Houston last year, but yet he's going to go to Miami and win, apparently. Like, somehow, yeah, Deshaun Watson, not an offensive lineman, doesn't play defense, can't catch passes, but that's the solution. We just get Deshaun Watson and everything's fine. No, again, it's a lazy GM. The Dolphins are deflecting blame. It's a lot easier just to blame Tua. The reality is Tua gets better every single game I watch him play. Bit by bit by bit. And by the way, let's acknowledge Tua's in a position that's really hard to perform in. Like, how do you play well when all week all you hear is rumors that your team doesn't want you? They want to replace you. The pressure's on. And Tua, I thought last week, you know, this past weekend on Sunday against Atlanta, Pressure on, has four touchdown passes, puts his team in a position to win. Like, maybe it's better for Tua to get out of Miami. Like, let's rescue Tua and send him to, um, what's a team that needs a quarterback next year? Pittsburgh, for example. Can we do that? that? That would probably be better for Tua, to have a team that actually seems to want him. And actually seems to want to build around him and give him a fair shot to succeed. How, how do you blame a quarterback when your defense is horrible, your offensive line is awful? <laughs> like, your play calling sucks. Miami needs to fix their team, not replace Tua. And I've been quiet. I've taken my time. I, I have a Tua jersey in my closet. I have this shirt. I get it. I get it. I'm a fan. I like Tua. God forbid. I think he's an awesome human being. I live in Hawaii. I love his family. I like everything I've seen. I know people that know him. They speak really highly of Tua. I'm a fan of Tua as a human being. Yes. Do I criticize him when he makes mistakes? Absolutely. But I've listened and listened and listened, and I've tried to be fair, and I've tried to say, well, you know, I get it, and I, I understand, and I do understand the perspective of replacing Tua. But I think it's a lot stronger argument to say, hey, sorry, but Tua's not the problem in Miami. And I've, I've been sitting here thinking this for weeks, but trying to be fair, and I'm, I'm done. I'm done trying to make an argument for both sides. I just, I, I've picked a side now. I, I do not think it's right replace Tua it makes no sense to me and I just think that the root of this is that Miami has way way bigger problems than their starting quarterback I'm like how can you not look at Miami and think like who looks at Miami and goes oh the quarterback sucks he's the problem when your defense can't stop anybody your offensive line is horrible you got no one number one receiver <laughs> play calling's bad I was talking to a pro quarterback the other day about the play calling in Miami and he's like yeah there's he's not really given a good opportunity to succeed so I've sat there, I've listened, I've waited, I've been patient, I've finally made a choice, and I, I just, again, Miami needs to fix their roster and fix their team, not replace Tua.
Okay, let's shift gears. Uh, oh, by the way, in the Falcons game against Miami, the Atlanta rookie tight end Kyle Pitts was fantastic. He had seven catches for 163 yards. I wanted to give him a shout out. Kyle Pitts, wow. Um, like, just had an amazing game. Dude is a stud. Let's now shift gears to Cincinnati. Let me drink some water real quick. The Cincinnati Bengals just beat the Baltimore Ravens 41-17. to And it's a massive, massive win for the Cincinnati Bengals. I've got a lot to say. Number one, uh, the Bengals are 5-2. and So it's official. Joe Burrow has done what I did not believe he was capable of doing. He has turned around the Cincinnati Bengals. Throw a party, celebrate, have a cake, get confetti and streamers. If you're in Cincinnati, congratulations. That's fantastic. I'm very, very happy for you. I'm happy. Like, I'm so glad I was wrong. I, I remember saying, like, Joe Burrow should avoid Cincinnati. Like, try to not go there. I, I had no confidence. I love Joe Burrow. I thought Joe Burrow was the best draft prospect since Andrew Luck. I, th- I still think I, he might have been better than Andrew Luck. I, people were saying Trevor Lawrence is the best prospect in years. I'm like, what about Joe Burrow? I, I love Joe Burrow. I did not believe that Joe Burrow could turn around Cincinnati. Now I'm convinced he can probably walk on water. I'm a huge fan. I love the guy. I love what he's doing. Uh, Bengals fans, feel free to go to my videos, make fun of me. I don't, I don't care. Like, I've admitted I was wrong. Uh, but I, I bet that beating the Ravens by 24 points in a game that probably a lot of people picked Baltimore to win, man, I, I have no doubt that felt really, really good. So congratulations, Cincinnati. I'm happy for you. Jamar Chase was a great pick. Uh, I got nothing bad to say about Cincinnati, which is a, like, that feels so amazing to say. I, <laughs> wow, things have come a long way. Now, this win does not change my opinion of Baltimore and the Ravens. Uh, we know they're a good team. They've had some big wins. They just dominated the Chargers last weekend uh, in NFL Week 6. But it does change a little bit how I view Cincinnati. I mean, I knew they were better this year. They've had a good start to the year. They were 4-2 and two going into this game. But I didn't realize that Cincinnati was capable of a win like that, beating the Bengals by 24 points, pulling away in the fourth quarter, blowing out Baltimore. And rookie receiver Jamar Chase had eight catches for 201 yards, one touchdown. Look, the Bengals have the second best quarterback receiver combo in the entire NFL. Number one is Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. And then number two is... Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. I love it. I love to see it. It's fantastic. Again, it's so much fun to watch this Bengals football team. And uh, Ravens head coach John Harbaugh came out and said, it was the worst game we've played all year. And I agree. The the, the Ravens did not play very well in this game. Blown coverages, uh, giving up sacks, guys drop passes. It's just an ugly game for Baltimore. Uh, but the point of him saying that was that he was saying, we can't panic. This loss does not define us as a football team. And I agree with that, too. The Ravens will be okay. Remember, this was a 10-point game early on in the fourth quarter. Like, yeah, Baltimore, the Bengals pulled away, but Baltimore was down. I mean, there was a moment where they picked off Joe Burrow in the end zone. They bring an all-out blitz after Joe Burrow. He realizes, I can't protect it. Tries to roll to the right. Throws a jump ball to Jamar Chase. It gets picked off in the end zone. Suddenly, it's Ravens ball down 27 to 17 in the fourth quarter. Now, they couldn't score. And after that, since he scored two touchdowns on back-to-back drives, they pulled away. They won. But this was not a blowout till the end of the game. I mean, the, the Ravens were in this game despite not playing very well. 
I don't walk away going, oh, the Ravens are terrible. I say, well, let's give credit to the Bengals. They took care of business where Baltimore did not. It's kind of interesting. Lamar Jackson, the Ravens quarterback, didn't play bad. He just didn't play like the superstar we normally see him play like. And when the Bengals started scoring in the second half, the Bengals defense did not allow Lamar Jackson to come back. They're like, nah, we're going to stifle everything you do. Kind of weird. Like Lamar Jackson had something like 88 yards rushing. But I walked away from the game feeling like, wow, the Bengals did a good job containing Lamar. Like in the second half, he tried to extend plays and escape, and he couldn't. He could not escape downfield. That's a big credit to Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson, the Bengals defensive ends. They've been so effective this year. Cincinnati gets pressure regularly with a three- and four-man rush, meaning they can drop more guys into coverage. And I love it, man. This Bengals defense is awesome. Uh, The Bengals went from a team where I felt like, Oh, yeah, that's a nice start. That's cute. To now, I'm like, well, this team is a playoff contender. And I, I, I can't say enough how much I enjoy getting to say that about Cincinnati. Well done. They're having a great year. And uh, again, I've already made the video like where I said I'm, I was wrong. But I, I just I have so much fun. Like it, it's, I'm, a, I'm a person. I pick a side and make a call. And I, I cannot tell you how sometimes when I'm wrong, I enjoy it so very much, and I, I, I love so much watching Joe Burrow throw to Jamar Chase, winning games in Cincinnati. I have a, a big heart for Cincinnati. Like, I live in Hawaii. Uh, I don't think anybody blames me for picking Hawaii over Cincinnati, but I was considering moving to Cincinnati. It's one of my favorite places in America. It's probably my favorite city in the lower 48, which I know, like, who in the heck picks Cincinnati? But I love Skyline Chili. I love the people. I love the stadiums by the river, the Red Stadium, the Bengals Stadium, the people there. Uh, Northern Row Brewery is amazing. Like I, I love Cincinnati as a city, and I, I'm so glad I was wrong because them winning every time, every time I see them win a game, it warms my heart, and it's really, really cool to see. Okay, uh, let me drink some water real quick. Uh, then we got a heavy topic here. We got to talk about heavy is the wrong word there. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe like it's a sledgehammer of a topic where we go. I cannot believe what I just saw. During NFL Week 7. Here it is. It is time to update my list of teams who are Super Bowl contenders. The other day, I made a list of nine teams I believe have a shot to win the Super Bowl. I said one of these nine teams will win the Super Bowl. It's time to remove Kansas City. They just lost to the Titans 27-3. to And I've been intentionally taking my time with KC all year, giving them the benefit of the doubt, saying, well, let's see how things shake out. They lost to the Chargers. They lost to Buffalo. They lost to Baltimore. Now they've lost to Tennessee. And they're all good teams, all playoff teams. I'm like, well, let's see. Remember, I've been saying, I said in my predictions that Kansas City was not the same juggernaut they've been in years prior. And I picked LA, the Chargers, to win the AFC West. And I'm like, well, yeah, okay, that's fair. Like, they're not as good as last year, sure. Uh, no, uh, the Titans loss was the worst loss we've seen all year from Kansas city. Tennessee's secondary is a mess. Like they are not very good. Uh, they're like, they're like nine teams away from the bottom. Like they're a bottom 10 pass defense in the NFL. Their corners are bad. They have blown assignments. They can't cover very well. And yet still Patrick Mahomes struggled to throw the ball against the Titans offense or defense. Excuse me. And let's give credit to Tennessee. It's a great win. Uh, if they keep this up, I'm going to have to like consider, is Tennessee maybe a team that should be considered 
uh, in the Super Bowl conversation. Like, you know, after probably week 12, I did one after week six. I'll probably do one after week 12. These and the insert amount of teams are what we have now with Super Bowl contenders. And if the Titans passing game keeps getting as, you know, it's getting better and better every week. And if I keep doing that, then yeah, I'm going to have to consider Tennessee a Super Bowl contender in six more games. But remember, um, like the Titans got a new offensive coordinator. Uh, they got a new receiver, Julio Jones. I think it's okay that it took some time for everybody to get on the same page in Tennessee throwing the football. And against KC, the Titans quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, had the very best game I've seen him play all year. 21 for 27 passing, 270 yards, one touchdown throwing, one touchdown running. Uh, he did have an interception. It was kind of unfortunate. It was like the only negative play Ryan Tannehill had all game. And it wasn't really like a bad decision. It was a guy, they're trying to throw a screen pass to the running back. Defensive lineman jumps up, makes a crazy good play, picks off the ball. You're like, well, that's not really a bad play by Ryan Tannehill. That's just a great play by the defense stealing the ball. They're like, I don't know. You know, he's just, he's running his offense and got, kind of ran into a, a wall there. That's not really, it's not really a bad Ryan Tannehill play. And uh, I look at this Kansas City Titans game. Two things are true here. Number one, Ryan Tannehill is getting better and better, and the passing game in Tennessee is getting better and better every week and every game. But the other reason that Kansas City looks so good throwing the football is that, sorry, that, that Tennessee, the other reason that Tennessee looks so good throwing the football is that Kansas City's defense is, yikes, uh, it's not good. Like They can't stop anybody right now. They are um, tied for last in the NFL with only eight sacks, they cannot get after the quarterback. Like the two worst teams in the NFL at getting pressure on the quarterback are Jacksonville and Kansas City. And if you're ever on a list with Jacksonville, unless it's that one rare team that went to the AFC playoff, uh, AFC title game, like you do not want to be ever compared to Jacksonville. And then on top of that, so the bad defense in Kansas City is putting more and more pressure on Kansas City's quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. And as a result, Kansas City leads the NFL in turnovers. And they lead by a lot. Kansas City has 17 turnovers this year. The only teams even close are the Jets, the Jaguars, and Houston. They all have 12. So in seven games, 17 turnovers is what's going on in Kansas City. That's awful. And what I want to learn from here is I never want anybody to ever tell me that the team around a quarterback doesn't matter. We give all this praise to the quarterback position. And, uh, well, we saw Tom Brady. He was falling off of a cliff. Remember that quote? In New England. He goes to Tampa, wins a Super Bowl in year one. Tom Brady's having the best year of his career. Matthew Stafford was awful in Detroit for you. Not awful, but never could really win. He looks great in L.A. Uh, Matt Ryan, with a great team, went to a Super Bowl with a bad team, was awful. I had a number four overall pick last year in Atlanta. The team around a quarterback matters way more than anybody likes to talk about. It is really easy to go, oh, the quarterback, wow. It's hard to understand what a good offensive line is. It is hard to do the work of understanding good play calling. Not a lot of people can do that. Most people, that, especially like you see reporters that never played football in their past, and I didn't play in the NFL. I played in college. But you see a lot of reporters are guys who went to journalism school, 
They learned how to write really good stories, and they've never actually played football. So, of course, all they do is go, oh, quarterback, big numbers, quarterback, lots of interceptions, good quarterback, bad quarterback. It's lazy. It's simple analysis. It drives me nuts. Like, I do, my, I, I'm not perfect. I do my best to look at the world with a lot of nuance and share all the context I possibly can. The lesson here is that, yes, having great numbers makes you a good quarterback, but great numbers are also the product of having a really good team around a quarterback. Patrick Mahomes needs help. Aaron Rodgers needs help. Tom Brady needs help. And Mahomes keeps trying to make up for the bad team around him. Playing hero. Like, last year, Carson Wentz in Philadelphia was a broken quarterback playing a lot of hero ball, trying to make up for the bad teams, the bad players around him, the, the broken roster, the bad offensive line. And you see, last year, Carson Wentz was throwing throws into double coverage and forcing things and holding onto the ball too long. You notice this year in Indy with a different coach and a better offense around him, Carson Wentz isn't making the same mistakes he made last year. Well, now we're seeing Patrick Mahomes make those mistakes because the team around him is not as good. It's, people often, often overlook how important it is to have a good team around you. And I look at the rest of the schedule for Kansas City ahead. They play the Packers. They play the Raiders twice. The Raiders are really good. They're 5-2. and two. They play Dallas. They play the Chargers. They play Cincinnati. Best case scenario, Kansas City is going to win eight games this year. Right now, I'm going to update my prediction. I believe Kansas City is going to go 7-10. and 10. The three and four right now, winning five more games on their schedule. Uh, I don't know. I, if they can find a way to beat the Broncos twice, if they can beat Pittsburgh, which feels like a big ask, and if they can beat the New York Giants, then you will have Kansas City at seven and ten. If they can steal a win from maybe the Raiders, then they'll get to eight wins. Remember, the Raiders lost their head coach. That feels like a team that could be vulnerable enough to lose to Kansas City. But, man, uh, I, I don't know. Like, for sure, Kansas City's not a Super Bowl contender, and I would hit the panic button. If you're a Kansas City fan, I've been waiting. I've been, I have been not been, I'm never a person, I try not to be, who's quick to pull the trigger. I'm like, let's wait, let's find out. And then by like, after like enough examples, I go, well, here's the reality. And then I lay down the hammer. <laughs> and uh, sometimes people say I'm too early. Sometimes people say I'm too slow. I don't really care what anyone thinks. Uh, I am ready to pull down the sledgehammer on Kansas City and go... Yeah, this ain't good. I don't even really know how to fix it. I mean, they've got a massive contract with Patrick Mahomes. They've got a lot of people to pay. They've got problems galore. And uh, there, there's no world right now where Kansas City is a Super Bowl contender. Now, the only, thing the only thing I've left to say is, the question really is, can Tennessee keep it up? Tennessee has got a great record right now. They're winning games. It's been fun. They just dominated Kansas City. I mean, they were up 27 to nothing at halftime. And uh, what I really want to see from Tennessee is if they find themselves down two touchdowns or 17 points in a game, can the passing game, passing game, my, my voice cracks, can the passing game in Tennessee, it's like the second time in two weeks, by the way, where my voice is cracked really badly. Can the passing game in Tennessee with Ryan Tannehill bring Tennessee back into a game? Like, if somehow another team takes away their running game or they're down by 17 points, can Tennessee throw to win? And if they can, 
if Ryan Tannehill can throw the ball for 300 yards in a game and bring them back down 17 at some point this year, that'll be the moment where I go, this team is a Super Bowl contender. And, and we'll see. Maybe they just win six games in a row now and they go like, they're like 10 and two to start the year. Then that will also be enough to put them in the Super Bowl conversation in my mind. Uh, I'm in no hurry to proclaim them a Super Bowl contender, but we will see how things go down the road. Uh, and I'll be honest, if I was the if I was the offensive coordinator in Tennessee and I was losing by 17 points in the third quarter, right? A lot, a lot of time when that happens, teams go, oh, we got to change our approach. Got to start throwing the ball more. We don't want to take a lot of time off the clock. I'd go, I don't know, man. I, I would run my offense. Like, I'm not going to compromise what I do. Why, why change what you've done all year so well? If your strength is running the football, I don't care if Tennessee's down 21 to nothing in the third quarter. Run the ball. That's what you do. That's what you're good at. Why would you expect to succeed by suddenly doing something you're not comfortable doing or haven't done as well all year? I don't understand that. So I would not compromise my offense and abandon the run if I was Tennessee, even if I was down 21 to nothing in the third quarter, because I would be like, look, yeah, we're going to throw the ball. We're also going to run the ball. That's what we do. We run play action. We throw the ball intermediate levels uh, and we run the ball heavily. That's that's how we run our offense. I'm not going to compromise there. Uh, but I, I am curious, like, is Kansas City's defense the reason why Tennessee's passing game looks so good? Or is Tennessee genuinely, which I think is, I think it's a little bit of both. I think Kansas City's defense is terrible. I also, I mean, A.J. Brown went off, had a huge game, like 133 yards receiving or something like that. I think it was eight catches, 133. Someone could look it up. I don't trust my numbers there. That's probably wrong. Um, but I, I look at Tennessee and go, they're getting a little bit better throwing the football every single game. Adding Julio Jones definitely helps. He didn't play a lot this year. Uh, but that will be something to keep track of for Tennessee the rest of the year. And uh, I, I think I do have, let's see, I might have one more thing to say. Um, how do I put this? Is it possible, did maybe Patrick Mahomes buy into his own hype and take his foot off the gas a little bit? I mean, I... He had a ton of success early on in his career. Patrick Mahomes succeeded almost immediately. Yeah, he sat out a year. But when he became the starting quarterback, like, bang, fantastic. Won MVP, won a Super Bowl the next year. I wonder, did all that early success, maybe, and hypothetically speaking, this is a theory. I'm going to put it out there because it's, it's better to say a theory than have it live in my notebook forever and never get said out loud. Did maybe all that early success, winning a Super Bowl, winning an MVP, almost immediately in his career, did that maybe give Patrick Mahomes a false sense of security? Like, did he always think it's going to be easy like this? It's food for thought. Drew Brees got traded from LA, from, from San Diego. Remember, he was with the Chargers, and they replaced him with Phillip Rivers. Drew Brees had a painful loss in his career that set him back a bunch and gave him a real chance to dig deep and, and, and become a Hall of Fame quarterback in New Orleans. Aaron Rodgers got sat down on the bench for years behind Brett Favre. And that's a tough act to follow. Tom Brady didn't start immediately. And Tom Brady was drafted in the sixth round. No one believed in him. Patrick Mahomes is not a sixth-round pick. He was never traded. He was never behind a, a Hall of Famer like Brett Favre with a bunch of people in your fan base angry that you know you, you shouldn't be the quarterback in Green Bay. Like A lot of people were very angry when Brett Favre got replaced in Green Bay. Here's my point. Did Patrick Mahomes always have it easy? Is there maybe a lack of adversity in his career, in his story, where 
he never had to go. I'm going to get really good at every little detail. He's always been bigger, faster, stronger. He's made it work in the NFL. Kind of a, a carefree, very loose vibe. Is this year, and maybe let's spin it a positive way. Maybe the struggle Mahomes is going through this year is that moment for Mahomes where it is that moment getting drafted in the sixth round for Tom Brady, getting sat behind Brett Favre, getting traded to, or sorry, get, you know, having your team in San Diego not want you. Maybe this year is the adversity Patrick Mahomes needs to get better at attention to detail. Fun. Th- I like that thought. I like my theories. It's better to say them out loud than put them in my notebooks and bury them forever. So I just wonder, again, maybe did Patrick Mahomes buy into his own hype and off the field? He's in a lot of commercials, and that's not entirely fair to criticize. I would want to make money if I was him too. But did maybe Mahomes take his foot off the gas just a little bit and feel safe and comfortable? That's a, a fun thing to ponder for Patrick Mahomes uh, and the rest of his career moving forward. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return coming up, we will talk about Tom Brady, Zach Wilson. Uh, Ask Zach is coming up. Lots more, too. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. Uh, it has been quite a while since I recorded the first part of this episode. I decided to put the shirt back on. I almost changed shirts. I'm like, ah, why not? It was sitting there taunting me in my closet. I'm like, well, because I put it on standby. I'm like, I'm either going to, because I knew, how do I explain all this? I start, I was about to record part number two of this episode. And then the drilling began once again. And uh, like in fairness to me, I was recording between the hours of 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. And that seems to be, the window of time when they drill, which, by the way, is all day. Um, so I usually record the episode literally from, like, midnight to 4 a.m. That's about the best time I've found. <laughs> it's insane, but, you'll like, you'll never hear me. You will never hear me complain about my living situation here. I live in Hawaii, first of all. That's amazing. I live near the beach. Also amazing. I also pay less here than I used to in the Portland, Oregon area. So, um, And I was in a suburb of Portland. I wasn't even in Portland. So... Um, the fact that I, I, I have this, the deal of a lifetime here, I'm going to never, ever complain about that. I I will say it's a bit, uh, to call it a bit inconvenient is an understatement, um, (laughs) to not have any like warning or, or know when they're going to be like randomly drilling into the walls and destroying. Like, I, I swear it sounds like every day they're demolishing a new shower and I'm like, that's not possible. There's no way, like, I, I don't understand, but Rant aside, and by, so anyway, I was like, well, I took the shirt off, hung it up. I put it on standby. There's like a part of my closet that kind of is different from everything else. And shirt's kind of alone out there. I'm like, can you either put this on or different polo? And I'm like, ah, I'll leave the two-ish shirt on. I'm like, why not? It's kind of fun. Uh, by the way, during the standby, I, I ended up putting out the three breakouts from the beginning of the episode. So on YouTube, there's already the videos out about Patrick Mahomes and the Bengals. And what did I talk about? Tua to start the show. Uh, now, one one fun thing. I know I'm talking a lot here, but it's my show. I can do whatever I want. I played the game Hot Wheels Unleashed. Uh, I got a new TV. Uh, that'll be – you'll hear more about that down the road uh, with a sponsor. Uh, but I got a new TV. It's amazing. It looks beautiful. But I've been playing uh, Hot Wheels Unleashed on there. It's a video game that, man, it takes me back. It, that game is, is so much better than it has any right to be. It's a fun racing game. Me and my fiancé play it. You can build tracks. It's like it, it takes me back to 
my childhood playing like Speed Racer on the PlayStation 2. So if you're out there, you're like, hey, I love racing games. It's just a fun arcade racer. Hot Wheels Unleashed is amazing. Let's now talk about Tom Brady. How that, how's that for a, a weird, crazy transition? Uh, seven games into the 2021 season, Tom Brady has 21 touchdowns, three interceptions. He's thrown for 2,275 yards. He leads the league in passing. And it looks like this year is going to be comparable to the 2007 season he had thrown to like Randy Moss and Wes Welker when the Patriots went undefeated. Remember, Tom Brady is 44 years old. It's unbelievable what he's doing. I, I really think, and I, I feel like I say this every episode, so I apologize if I'm getting repetitive. But I, I just feel like there's not enough focus on how incredible this is. And, and I don't, I'll break down why it's less impressive than it might seem. There are reasons to explain away what's happening. But my goodness, I mean, it, it's still, I, I just don't know that we're ever going to see this ever again. And I, I've talked to multiple people in the last couple of weeks, and you know, I was talking to my buddy Riley Hennessy. His, his episode, his interview, it's like two hours. Part one's coming out very soon. And uh, he talked about how there's just not going to be another person probably ever who's as dedicated to the quarterback position as Tom Brady. Like He, he never takes a day off, ever. Uh, maybe like once a year you see him celebrating a Super Bowl, that's it. Uh, but I just think that, so this, this offense in Tampa this year in 2021, 14 years, by the way, after the 2007 season, which is, that's, that's crazy to think about. Like, Tom Brady's career is older than a lot of people that probably listen to this show that are in college. <laughs> that's, that's absurd, by the way. But 14 years ago, Tom Brady, undefeated season, you know, broke pretty much every passing record. I, I think the 2021 Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense might be even better than that 2007 Patriots team. The defense is not as good. I mean, there's a reason that team went undefeated back then, and this team obviously is not going to. They, they already lost a game. But man, I, I wonder, here's where I think you can explain away what's happening. I, I wonder if there are any like quarterbacks who have retired and are looking at what Tom Brady's doing going, man, because a lot of, a lot of quarterbacks retire, like Peyton Manning couldn't. Peyton Manning's body broke down. So did Drew Brees' body, by the way. But a lot of quarterbacks, when they retired... I'm thinking guys like Troy Aikman and, man, um, uh, Joe Montana even like could still throw the football. A lot of those guys, their bodies broke down because they couldn't take any more hits. But that era that played in the 80s, that played in the 90s, when their careers came to a close, it was because, yeah, my body, I, I can't take any more hits. Tom Brady never gets hit. Part of that is that the rules have, have begun to protect quarterbacks even more. Part of that is because Tom Brady says, I'm going to throw the ball away. I'll take intentional grounding penalties before I will take a hit. So the rules, Tom Brady's style of play and the rules keep Brady more safe than ever before. But then also he has amazing weapons. He's got, here's what's crazy. Tom Brady has a Madden team around him in Tampa. Mike Evans at receiver, Antonio Brown, which by the way, Antonio Brown is the most like not talked about story in football. Like he has problems off the field, comes to Tampa and who would like if you said a couple of years ago, Tom Brady is going to be throwing the ball to Antonio Brown? I would have said that's going to be the biggest storyline in the NFL. That's unbelievable, and, and no one—it's totally like under—it's not talked about. And by the way, Antonio Brown, I think people don't want to talk about him because it makes him uncomfortable because he's got all kinds of crazy stuff off the field. I get that. 
completely. I don't want to talk about Deshaun Watson. I think I hate talking about that stuff. But let's be clear. Personal stuff aside, Antonio Brown is incredible. Like he's still playing at a crazy high level, and I feel like he's just totally going under like unnoticed and underreported. So he's got Tom Brady's Mike Evans, Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin. That's already an amazing cast of receivers. Then you realize, oh, he's got not only Cameron Brait, a really good tight end, oh, and OJ Howard, but oh yeah, by the way, he's got Rob Gronkowski. It's like, what? Six premier targets in the NFL for the greatest quarterback of all time. Why is that not mentioned? Like how insane it is what Tom Brady's built. Now, Tom Brady, and this is why I think Hall of Fame players might be kind of like, well, you know, imagine if other quarterbacks had to retire early had that kind of ensemble around them. Like what if Eli Manning played with this group of guys? I don't know. I, I don't I don't know, but I'll tell you what it really felt like at the end of the Eli Manning era. He didn't really get all the support he deserved with that football team. And uh, Tom Brady's smart. He went to a football team that has a loaded roster. Good for him. And uh, the level of execution this year is unreal. Like, Brady is so far ahead of where he was last year. Like, Tampa is really achieving their potential as a football team. And we saw flashes of what was possible in the Bruce Arians offense in the 2019 season with Jameis Winston. Remember, he had... 33 touchdowns and 30 interceptions. But we, so we saw like what they were capable of at like the top level, but also Jameis did not execute at this kind of level. Brady's attention to detail took this offense to a whole new level. It's really crazy what's happening. And I just wonder, I have two questions. We'll move on from Brady in just a moment. But let's ask the question what if Tampa wins another Super Bowl this year, which very well could happen? I, I don't know. I don't know why I feel like they're not the favorite. I, I hesitate to call them the favorite. They won last year. Their team's better than last year. Like so, it, it makes logical sense to call them the favorite. Maybe it's because their secondary is injured. I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm bored. Like I, I dare I say, and I'm I'm like the biggest like you know fan of Tom Brady ever. He inspired me heavily as a kid. Even I'm kind of like, well, can we get somebody else in the, <laughs> can, can anybody else get to a Super Bowl and win? I'd like to see that, right? I'd like to see more names mentioned. Like, I want to see Justin Herbert or Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson or Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott would be so cool to see win a Super Bowl. So even me, who's a massive Brady fan, I'm kind of like, ah, I wouldn't mind seeing somebody else win. I know if I feel that way. It must be crazy the way other people, other people must be so done with Tom Brady. And I get, totally get it. It's kind of funny, like Tom Brady went to Tampa and the, the narrative of Tom Brady's career kind of needed that. If Tom Brady doesn't go to Tampa and he stays in New England and they keep winning, I, I don't think people could have handled that. At least Brady feels like he's more, like not muzzled now in Tampa. Like he's more likable than ever before. So Tampa might win another Super Bowl. That, that's a real fact, which is, un, it's, it's insane to think about. And then the next question is, well, how much longer can Tom Brady do this? I mean, the dude takes care of his body at a level that is, it's really never been seen before. That's crazy in of itself. And then you look at the roster around him, they're still really good. Like he's got, there's no reason, I guess what I'm saying, to expect Tom Brady to retire anytime soon. Like he's not slowing down. In fact, he's the best to statistical quarterback in the NFL. What? 44 years old. 
like I get being tired of Tom Brady not wanting to see him win a Super Bowl. I understand that, and I, I kind of feel that way. But also, what should be happening is people should appreciate what's going on because we are never, never going to see this happen ever again. I love Josh Allen. I love Justin Herbert. I like Zach Wilson. I like Derek Carr. I like Kyler Murray. Everybody, uh, Russell Wilson, everybody I just listed is not going to be leading the NFL in passing at 44 years old after seven NFL games when they're, when they're that age at 44 years old. That's not going to happen. Kyler Murray, when he's 44, is probably going to be retired. We're just never, ever, ever going to see this level of sustained success ever again in the NFL, the quarterback position. It blows my mind. It's unbelievable. And uh, I feel like it's actually not talked about enough. Okay, there was a really cool moment at the end of the Buccaneers-Bears game this past weekend. There was a kid, he had a sign. It said, Tom Brady helped me beat brain cancer. And a lot of people here, I, I might even read that. Some people are, they're not very fun. And uh, they're like, well, Tom Brady didn't cure his cancer. Whatever. People find inspiration in whatever ways work for them. But what I, what I thought was so cool is there's this young kid. Like, I mean, this guy is younger than Tom Brady's kids, by the way. Like, this kid is a young I don't know. I, I, it's crazy. I can never actually tell how old kids are. I don't have my own kids. So like maybe when I have my own kids, I'll be like, oh, that kid's 10. Because I'll just know what my own 10-year-old looks like and be able to compare and contrast. I don't know. But there's this young kid holding up a sign, Tom Brady helped me beat brain cancer. This kid had to deal with brain cancer as a child. I, I, it makes me feel horrible thinking about that. And then Tom Brady did such a small thing. He went over and shook his hand and said hello. I think he handed him like a hat or something. I don't, I don't really remember what happened. I, th I think he handed him a hat, probably. It sounds about right. Either way, it, for, for Tom Brady, it's such a simple 30-second interaction. It's so easy and low effort for Tom Brady. And then for that kid that had to be deeply meaningful, that like you're here. I, I never had brain cancer. You know how much that would mean to me? Let alone if I was – because I, I talked to my buddy um, who, who dealt with cancer. He came on my show. Look, 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 go to Flawed Humans. Watch the Dane Santos episode of Flawed Humans on my other channel. And he talked about how when you have cancer, you find anything you can to motivate you. And then I, I remember as a child, I was deeply motivated by Tom Brady. So my speculation is this kid was probably in the hospital going, if Tom Brady can do it, so can I. Right? Like whatever – because when you're in that state – my buddy Dane said, who he beat cancer. It's amazing, his story. He said, you find anything you can to motivate you. So this kid had this deeply motivating person, Tom Brady, come give him his time for like a minute of his life. And again, for Tom, that's so simple. For that kid, that's deeply meaningful. And I'm getting goosebumps. It actually made me, I was in bed with my, my fiance looking at that. I almost said wife, which I'm basically my wife. And I'm showing her this Instagram post from CBS. I'm like, look at what happened. And it made me tear up because I'm like, man. It's so simple for one party. Like for Tom Brady, it's so easy to do. And for that kid, that matters so much. And it's kind of a reminder that in our everyday lives, like, first of all, you never know what someone else is going through. Like, if someone's mean to you at the store, I had an interaction the other day where some guy was just, oh my gosh, he was so mean. And my initial reaction was like to arch my back and like kind of go, what, what's F you, man? Like kind of get mad. And then I caught myself, I'm like, wait, well, hold on. We don't know what's happening to this guy. This guy at Costco could have just lost his job. Maybe his wife served him divorce papers. Maybe his kid died. 
Maybe he found out he's got cancer. We have no idea what's going on. Maybe he was just a dick. Like, that's possible, too. But, man, I'll tell you what. I, I tried to just smile and, and take it like a man. And, um, first of all, I'm proud of that. Because I think old Zach would have gone, oh, really? Like, I would have really... I love that in New York, if you if you hold the door open for someone and they don't say thank you, you go, you're welcome. Like, you have that kind of snide. And I've tried to remove that energy from my life. Like, I'm, I'm good. I don't need to... I don't, I just have, I don't need to take 30 seconds of my life to be mean to somebody else. In fact, I'd, I'd rather, I feel better in my day going, yeah, I was kind for, for a couple seconds. It made me, it makes me feel better about my life and about myself. And so I just, I just want to remind you guys the same way Tom Brady, because I, I always look at Tom Brady and see that's an example of something I can copy. In your own life, think of how easy it is to be nice to someone for 30 seconds. If someone screws up your order at McDonald's, for example, it's easy to go, what the heck, man? I ordered a large fry. This is a medium. And really, like, lay it on to that employee and be, be rude to them. But that's a person making $10 an hour. Like, I used to work those jobs. So I just think we got to have – our whole society has to have more empathy and a little more patience, a little more understanding. There, there's a time and place to arch your back and defend yourself. Absolutely. 99% of situations are not that. Most of the time, if you, you're kind and empathetic, that's the better way to go. And uh, I, I just think that Tom Brady, I look at this, and what I see is Tom Brady taking 30 seconds out of his life to be nice to someone, and it was deeply meaningful to that kid. And I just encourage everyone listening, in your life, if you can, try to find those 30 seconds where you can be nice to someone or kind to someone. And, man, you never know the impact that can have. You just, you never know. And uh, I, I know that when I'm, when someone's mean to me, I think about it for days. Like, it lingers in my mind. It, sometimes, 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 I can't even talk. It sometimes can ruin your day. Thank goodness. Jeez, I couldn't even say that. I don't want to ruin anybody's day. And uh, on the flip side, maybe your smile here and there never gets noticed. But maybe it does. And maybe it makes someone's day or helps them when they are going through a divorce. So they are going through a breakup or they do have cancer. You, you just never know. And I want to encourage everybody, be really kind to each other. You just never know what someone's going through. Rant is over. You're welcome. I need some chapstick. Um, actually, let me, let me cut real quick. Give me one second. All right. Now that I've talked about Tom Brady for 30 minutes, <laughs> I think people think I idolize Tom Brady. Uh, that's not true. I mean, I you certainly live and learn your lesson from a guy like John Gruden. But uh, look, I, I, I see so many examples in Tom Brady's life that I can emulate and copy and make my life better. And... I, I don't think you should put anybody on a pedestal, but you definitely can take and, and pick and choose the good things you see other people doing. And I know that Tom Brady is one of the most influential people in my life because he does so many things that are worth emulating and stealing from and copying. So, um, look, w with anybody in life, take the good, leave the bad. And uh, Tom Brady, there's a lot of good you can take from his life. I find that, look, that, that dude is rich. That dude is very successful. That dude seems like a good father. Uh, certainly seems entertaining to listen to. And, uh, People like that, you can learn a lot from. And I, I don't get the jealousy thing. I, I, I always look at people and go, how can I repeat their success? Because I, I just think that um, you can always learn from other people. And their failures, too, by the way. So, I don't know. There's a lot of power there. The Raiders won on Sunday. Uh, they beat the Eagles 33-22. to I guess we're going up by 11, every score, apparently. Uh, the Raiders are now 5-2. and two, And that makes me... Very, very happy to see. The Raiders started 3-0, and and then 
John Gruden, their head coach's emails came out. They were offensive and he stepped down. And uh, I don't want to get into that whole can of worms, but I, I was worried that losing their head coach would derail their entire year. And so far, and there were only two games removed from that happening, but so far they've won two games in a row and their year has not gotten derailed. That's very cool. Better than I thought already. They got a lot of young guys there. Got a lot of guys that I respect. Darren Waller, man, his story is really cool. Carl Nassib. Um, I, I find myself really rooting for the Raiders. Like some of my some of my favorite teams in the NFL right now. I love Dak Prescott. Uh, I like the Panthers. I, I don't know how I feel about Sam Darnold, but I like the organization in general. I really like the Bengals. What they got going on is really cool. Uh, Arizona's cool. They're turning that franchise around. I root for the Browns. Like, there's all kinds of stories. If you want to find good storylines around the NFL, you totally can find them. And uh, I think that the Raiders, like their quarterback Derek Carr, they got the new building. They got you know Mark Davis. I mean, I there is a lot of stuff to like in Vegas, and uh, it, it's tough to lose your coach midseason, man. It really. I, my my buddy uh, Keaton Slovis went through that, and uh, I I just I, by the so let's be clear. Keaton has not told me anything, but I I've talked to him behind the scenes and, um, how do we, how do we even say this the right way? Let's just say, man, like I, I reached out to him and I was like, Hey man, I understand how hard that is because I, I just, I can't even imagine losing your head coach mid season. People, people forget how hard that's gotta be like this, the centerpiece in college. That's the guy that recruited you in the NFL. That's the guy who chose you, the guy who you worked with every day. So man, it's, very easy to let that kind of loss derail your whole season. And, uh, man, I, I, I just got to say, I, I think that so far, two games later, the Raiders have not let it derail their season. And that's surprising and very, very cool. I really, I'm rooting for the Raiders. I, I want the Raiders to be good. It'd be so awesome to see them dominate the NFL. The Raiders, Dak Prescott, Joe Burrow, Matt Rule with the Panthers. Like, there are some really cool, classy I like Daniel Jones a lot. Like I, I've talked to some people who know him behind the scenes, and they say he's fantastic. Like he's a human being recently. Uh, so, man, I, I, there, there's a lot of people to root for in the NFL, and I definitely find myself rooting for, you know, the Raiders organization. Like, how do you hate Derek Carr? I, I, I just I certainly find Derek Carr incredibly likable. I like Brandon Staley. Like I find myself rooting for people, and uh, man, I, I want to see the Raiders uh, survive losing John Gruden. Another story, Jets quarterback Zach Wilson is hurt. He sprained his PCL. Uh, that's a knee ligament. He's out two to four weeks. Uh, could be, I mean, that could be four games. And uh, I think in a weird way, and I, I'm probably the only person in the NFL world that will say this, but I, I do believe it. I played quarterback. Uh, I learned a lot from watching film and watching other people run the offenses I was trying to learn. I remember, I, you know, for example, years ago, my junior year of high school, I transferred from one school to another midsummer. And uh, I know not the horror movie. That's terrifying. Um, more just unsettling than terrifying. Anyway, <laughs> how do I always do that? Uh, I, I transferred in and two days after I got to the new school and started training with the team, we had Oregon state football camp. So I had two days to learn the offense and get myself competitive. And I watched so much film of other people running our offense. And I saw what to do, what not to do. It is very helpful and I think valuable to see someone else run your offense. When I was in college, I did the same thing. Like, what, what did this guy do last year that I can learn from? 
and you take notes and it gives you a very different perspective than when you're the quarterback on the field and you see what to do, what not to do. I think that really helped Dak Prescott, actually. I think watching Andy Dalton run the Cowboys offense last year gave Dak Prescott a lot to think about. He's like, oh, imagine if, if, if Andy extended that play rather than throwing it away. Imagine if Andy done this instead of that. Imagine if, oh, that's a good, I should steal that. That's a good idea. Like he, he got to watch Andy Dalton run his offense and completely learn from all of that. Every decision Andy Dalton made helped Dak Prescott this year. And Dak looks fantastic. There, there is value in watching another person run your offense. So the Jets, they added Joe Flacco. Uh, they traded for him from Philly. We will see if he, I, I would assume he's going to start eventually. Give him a week or two to learn the offense. But um, I, I just think in, in the weirdest way, if you've already, like once you're a, a legend in the NFL, when you're not starting, it only hurts you. Like Russell Wilson isn't playing. That's not good for Russell Wilson. Like he's not gaining experience or knowledge by not playing. But if you're a guy still in development, still getting better, still trying to make your best. And and by the way, I saw people making fun of Russell Wilson because he's on camera, like faking a huddle and running plays. And I, I Pat McAfee, I love you, man. I, I've, I DM'd him the other day. Respectfully, I, I played quarterback. I did all that stuff. I remember being in empty rooms with no one in it. On a knee, calling a play, then running through the play, your footwork, you're pretending you're making reads like visualizing like that really, really does help. E- even calling the play on a knee, because that is part of the quarterback experience. You have to be good at literally saying the play out loud to your teammates. And so um, I just think that it, this is a, because Zach Wilson is not a finished product, he's still very much developing. He has not, <laughs> nobody's going to argue that Zach Wilson has mastered the NFL yet. Because of where he's at in his development, it could be very helpful for him to have played a little bit, to know what it's like, and then watch another person run the same offense as him and see what to do and what not to do. I think this could be a very, very good couple of weeks in the development of Zach Wilson. And uh, he could be much better on the other side of an extended break not playing due to an injury. Thank goodness it's a minor injury. That's really good. I did see a funny, uh, a funny tweet out there. Someone said, well, uh, Peyton Manning's interception record of the most interceptions as a rookie – Peyton Manning's record is safe now that Zach Wilson is injured. I thought that was kind of funny, but um, all in all, I, I really think that Zach Wilson might benefit from missing a little bit of time and watching from the sideline and watching a lot of film. Okay, uh, Mike Tomlin, the Pittsburgh Steelers head coach, got asked a question about uh, the gist was like, hey, are you like, have you ever said anything that might make people like Ryan Clark uh, speculate for you as a potential candidate for a college football job. And uh, I've, I've seen, and these are not really good journalists. There's mostly people like me who make opinions. Um, so having a theory is not a journalist. That's, that's just you kind of making up stuff and having fun, which I think there's value in that. I do that all the time, but I never pretend that my theory is a fact or a story, right? Like there's no source behind that. It's just a theory I came up with and theorizing is fun. I, I love being like the, the sports mad scientist or um, who is that guy who used to talk about um, Bigfoot? Like he, he oh, I can't, I, can't, I can't even do an impression. I'd be so bad. But he like would talk. It was like a show at midnight. I used to drive from Pullman, Washington in college to my home in Portland where my parents grew up and uh, or where I grew up as, as a child. And, uh, you know, that guy was like the only guy on the radio at midnight talking about Bigfoot. And it was fun. Like conspiracy theorizing, conspiracy theories, they're fun. 
um, for better or worse. <laughs> uh, and, and this is basically a conspiracy theory, the idea, a, a theory that, oh, what if LSU hired Mike Tomlin? What if USC pursued Mike Tomlin? How much would they pay? Like, it's a fun conversation, even if it's not a real conversation. And uh, Mike Tomlin, here's how he responded to the rumors that, and the question someone asked him during a press conference, a live press conference. Someone said, or someone asked him about it. Mike Tomlin said, I don't have time for that speculation. That's a joke to me. I've got one of the best jobs in all of professional sport. Why would I have any interest in coaching college football? Never say never, but never. There's not a booster with a big enough blank check. And he, uh, you should go watch the video, listen to him deliver that that message. It was really like entertaining and interesting. And he was very angry, clearly. And uh, it was the last question asked at a press conference. So he walked away. It wasn't like he stormed off, but it was definitely like he was not happy with it and didn't really want to answer any more questions. And part of the hostility from him is is, is kind of like, you got to curb that conversation now. Because what you don't want to do is deal with that kind of question every day. So if the media asks you once to say, I'm talking about this this one time and never going to, if you ask me about this tomorrow, I'm going to be mad at you. And the media locally doesn't want Mike Tomlin to be mad at them. So they, they bow to his wish and they say, okay, fair enough. So Mike Tomlin has to have some anger and aggression there to make sure he doesn't have to deal with this for weeks because he doesn't want to answer this question every day for the next couple months. Plus, on top of it, you got to wonder, did some of the anger get fueled by, I wonder if the ownership in Pittsburgh was like, hey, man, I'm looking at this on my phone. Any truth to this? Is there, is there, are you talking to LSU? Are you talking to USC? And so he's got to like defend himself to ownership. And so he's probably already tired of dealing with that. And I understand Mike Tomlin... It's a tactic to get angry, to scare the media into not asking you about it again. Here's the thing. You can claim that boundary respectfully, right? Like you can say, hey, I, I know it's your job, buddy. And you can say, buddy, to demean him a little bit. I know it's your job, buddy, to ask me that. Please don't ask me that ever again. I'm not, I'm not leaving. And you, you can say all that peacefully rather than getting angry. Because um, reporters, unfortunately, I find myself somewhere in this gray area between a reporter and a blogger and I kind of just talk. I don't really know what I, I don't, I don't consider myself a journalist at all. Like, I don't like the, I don't like If I interview people, I say, Hey, I want to make you look good. That's my goal. I don't want to ask people gotcha questions, but let's be clear. Like you do have to ask that question. I mean, I, I think it'd be disingenuine. I don't ask that question because I feel a sense of journalistic integrity, but if Mike Tomlin came on my show, I'd be like, Hey man, are you going to USC? Like what's happening there? Because your audience wants to know about it. Like, and there's this culture in, in the sports world now where we're being really soft to the way we ask athletes questions. And I, I, you have to do that because you don't want guys to not come on your show. But if there's like a big elephant in the room, it's kind of weird to ignore it. And you can ask the question and have the guy say, I don't really want to talk about that. And you say, all right, fair enough. And then don't press the issue. That's fine. But like, it's a reporter's job to ask that question. And I thought it was a bit interesting that he was so hostile. It's like, I, I'm like the only person in the world that's like, hey, by the way, like, he does have to ask that. But and most people are like, oh, you should never ask him that. It's like, no, you, you should. That's, that's your job. And uh, let's be clear about that. Like, a, a lot of people, um, I'm going to mention Pat McAfee again. Pat McAfee has very light, softball interviews. And, and that gets him a lot of guests because no one's afraid to come on a show because they know he's not going to ask him about the elephant in the room. But there, I think the, you don't have to be Colin Cowherd. And come out and like punch somebody with the way you ask that question. But you don't also have, you also, you know, there's one extreme, which is Colin Coward. who says like, he asks it in the most aggressive way possible to get a good response out of you. 
And that's the journalistic integrity coming out. And then there's Pat McAfee, who will not ask that question at all. And I'm not calling anybody out. I love Pat. Like a huge, I, I really respect him. He's, the, he's a titan in the sports media world. But somewhere in the middle is asking the question in a way that can be heard and listened to and doesn't trigger anybody and isn't – you can ask a, a, a pointed question in a way that doesn't make someone get defensive or feel a need to end the interview. And uh, and also, I haven't listened to a lot of Pat McAfee interviews. I, the, the couple I've seen, like when the Packers had a big loss, I remember Pat McAfee asked him about that question. Like, So maybe I'm wrong. I don't, I don't listen to a lot of Pat, but I see what he does and I respect what he does. Um, but – like in this scenario, when you see a lot of former players becoming, you know, talk show hosts, there's this whole like trend in the media to not ask tough questions. And I would push back and say, just ask the tough question in a way that doesn't make anybody defensive and gives them an out to not answer it. Like ask it in a fair, kind, respectful, gentle way, and it's all good. But you have to ask certain questions because it'd be disingenuous not to talk about the biggest story in the world depend you know regarding that athlete okay uh man i hope that that probably right there is like a lot of athletes are like not coming on Zach's show but i don't i'm never i don't know like i want to make people look good but also like let's acknowledge the stuff that really happened i don't know it's time for ask zach it's my favorite part of the show ask zach is where i read questions from the audience in case you do not know how it works, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. You give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want to. Please do. It literally helps pay my rent. But a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. Now, if you submit a question on Patreon, I do not guarantee to read it on the show. My only guarantee, I look at every single question with my eyeballs. I pick the top couple to read at the end of the show. And uh, a lot of good ones were submitted today. I remember thinking, like, man, there's not. I, I posted it early Sunday morning, and like Sunday at noon, I checked. I'm like, ah, not great. Like, I want more questions. And then between when I looked at it and and this morning when I prepared it, I'm like, oh wow, <laughs> you guys stepped up. A lot of good questions are here. And uh, the first one is from Ben. He says, "This might be an unfair question, but do you think the NIL name image likeness deals got to the heads of Spencer Rattler and DJ Ui Unglele?" Good spelling. I think you got it right. I know in Rattler's case, it's more of pride and entitlement, but I've seen the same Dr. Pepper commercials with DJ way more times than I've seen his highlights uh, making plays. I'm all for college athletes profiting off their NIL, by the way, which is why I kind of feel bad asking the question. The question just came to mind. Thank you for your time. Glad you like Dune. Watch more of Dil Dennis Villanueva's, uh, I say Villeneuve, but I've also heard Villeneuve. Uh, Villanueva is how you say that. I don't know what that means at the end. Uh, films. Ben, uh, I don't want to criticize someone for making money from sponsorships. Most, I, I don't take, I try not to take sponsorships from uh, trying to do, I don't. And, and I don't know, uh, that might get challenged someday. I, I'm not totally close, but I, I, I currently don't feel comfortable um, taking money from like gambling. I just, I don't, I don't like it. It's not my thing. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's right to play with money and I, I feel uncomfortable with that and I don't want to encourage anyone to potentially lose a lot of money. If I lost people money, I'd feel horrible. Uh, but for the most part, picking sponsorship money doesn't hurt anybody because there's no loser. Like it's a company that has money to spend. They might as well spend it on you. Like if you're making deals and you're flipping products, like that's often 
you're you're make you're giving someone a bad deal usually. Like scalpers selling PS5s for fifteen hundred dollars, that's not really like a super um, clean way to make money. Getting money from a company to talk about their product is pretty like low impact. It doesn't hurt anybody. So I definitely want to do that. I don't want to criticize anybody for that. And then like Aaron Rodgers, Pat McAfee, they do a lot of stuff like that for State Farm. Their commercials are great. I love the Aaron Rodgers as a game show host. I love Aaron Rodgers. What if I made music? Would I still get the Rodgers rate? Like that kind of stuff is really fun. But when you see a guy like DJ Uwe Ungale, who really hasn't been a starting quarterback in college football yet, get massive amounts of money and big national spots to talk about Dr. Pepper. It's pretty clear there was an expectation he would be a really popular, very successful college quarterback. And he got benched last weekend. Came back in the fourth quarter, but and that, that's really more because the backup was that bad, not because DJ was so good they had to give him another opportunity. And... Spencer Rattler, there's an expectation he was going to be the number one quarterback taken in the 2022 first round of the NFL draft. And so the bigger question has to be, you know, I don't think taking money is bad, but did it become a bigger focus than the game this offseason? Was Spencer Rattler giving all of his time and attention to managing brand deals and sponsorships? Like, you know, here's a real thing, by the way. Part of why I don't have very many sponsorships on the podcast is simply because I don't check my email. Like, it's a lot of work to get sponsorships. Like, it, I'm, I'm not kidding at all. It's just hard. And I'm like, I make enough money, and I'm very lucky to be able to say that. I, I could use more, but if I spent all my money, like, getting sponsorships, I would never have time to make content. And I way prefer making content than answering emails. And so if you only have so much finite time— my point is it's not simple. It's very complicated. Companies come in with all kinds of rules and restrictions and technicalities they want. You got to sign contracts. You got to do this. You got to do that. It can be very time-consuming. And Spencer Rattler used his name, image, and likeness and got a lot of deals. And I know he got an agent. I know there's someone helping him. But still, man, uh, that, that could be something that took a lot of his time and attention this offseason and hurt his game. He's walking around campus with, like, a ton of money, a nice car, a sense of entitlement. Also, his time is divided. Like, I don't know that Spencer Rattler focused a lot on, I'm sure some on football, but I think a lot of it also was trying to like get brand deals, which is not really a good use of your time if you're trying to make it into the NFL. Like, it's better to make money because you were the number one pick in the draft than because X body wash company wants you to hawk their product. So, um, yeah, man. Like, my job is to talk about sports, not to talk about products. So I don't give a lot of my time and energy to finding brand deals. Spencer Rattler's job is to play football, not to promote products. Does he want to be an Instagram star or a really successful quarterback? And sometimes you have to pick one because there's only so much time in a day. And, uh, Ben, I hear you not wanting to criticize, but I also I think it's a fair question because— the expectations are really, really high for DJ Uwe Ungole and Spencer Rattler, and clearly they have been a big disappointment so far this year. Andy writes in, says, Hey, Zach, what are your thoughts on giving quarterbacks large contracts? Over the last 15 years, only three Super Bowl-winning quarterbacks were a top-five highest-paid QB. Do you think NFL teams will avoid giving large contracts to quarterbacks in hopes of finding a young, cheap QB in the draft? Uh... You look, cheap quarterbacks are awesome. If you can 
have a quarterback making less money, then you have way more possibility to add more players. It's simple math. And that's why I'm really impressed with Tom Brady. Has Tom Brady ever at any point in his career been the highest paid NFL quarterback? I don't think so. And, and then, I, you know, it's easy to say this from where I sit now, making like no money. I live in a tiny apartment. Uh, I, like, I've got <laughs> uh, mostly crappy, like I've got a, a chair that was in my living room for a long time that's like literally like an outdoor chair. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm broke, bro. Like I got no money. So it's easy to say that from here, but from where I sit here in a tiny apartment, I go, well, man, uh, I would not complain if I got $15 million. And my life would change about the same if I had $15 million or $25 million. Like, what's the real difference between $25 and $15 million as far as lifestyle? You buy a house, you buy a car, you put them in your money and savings, you live off of it. It's not that complicated. And $15 million, $30 million, like, why, why are quarterbacks so desperate to make as much money as humanly possible? You want, what you want to do is make enough money. That you're set for life and never need to think about money ever again because money's very stressful. I hate dealing with it. It's awful. And then you want to make, you want to hit that sweet spot, like the Goldilocks zone where you're taken care of forever, but also you don't make so much that it cripples your football team. You want good teammates. And here's the thing it's the long game. If you take less money early in your career and get better players around you, it extends your career, right? Like, <laughs> Because uh, if you get a lot of good players around you and you can actually play a little bit, oh, you're going to get a second contract and a third contract and extend your career longer. Here's what you do. If it was me, and it's, again, easy to say from my tiny apartment. I get it. I get the criticism. But my thought is, like, why don't more quarterbacks say, I'll take $15, $20 million a year, fully guaranteed. That way, hey, I know no matter what happens, if I get hurt, I'm getting my money. Because you want to make money. You want generational wealth. That's like, of course you want that. I want that. It'd be great. I'd, I'd love to buy a house someday. That'd be amazing. But also, if you want help. Like, you want to win, I would think. So, like, Baker Mayfield, for example, is a prime example of this. Like, is Baker going to have the foresight to say, man, if I ask for $42 million a year, we're probably not going to win. Probably uh, not going to be, like, my, my city's not going to be very happy with me because I'm going to cripple my franchise. And, uh, like, how different is my life making $42 million a year versus twenty? Like, real, Like, really? Like, how different is your lifestyle? I get it. That's twice as much money. But, what would it, it, sorry, your super yacht is a little smaller now. Like, I don't know. I don't know. A lot of people say don't talk about other people's money, but that's something I've never understood looking at athletes is why don't quarterbacks understand that you want guaranteed money so that if you get hurt, you're set but take a little less so your teammates can be better. It just seems like there's the only person, the only person who seems to have figured that out is Tom Brady. And of course it's Tom Brady. And I get it. Tom Brady's wife is a supermodel. He, she makes the big bucks. He doesn't need the money. But also I think Tom Brady, there's a little bit of ego left aside because the greatest quarterback of all time, as far as wins and losses and every stat ever, like, you could argue that deserves to be paid more than any other quarterback in the NFL. But Tom Brady's put his ego aside said, I want to win, and I want to keep winning. I want to keep playing. Tom Brady's like, I'm a quarterback who, who I, I, my job is to win football games and, and play well. Not necessarily to make as much money as humanly possible. So, I don't know.
I don't know. That's my thoughts on on paying quarterbacks, and uh, I hope you. I, I don't know. I don't. I never want to sound like a hypocrite, but uh, and a lot of people are like, "Don't talk about another man's money." Well, whatever. It's my job to comment on this stuff. Like, you know, uh, I don't know. I do my best, and I try to present everything in a, a way that's easy to listen to and pretty comprehensive and and thoughtful. Carter writes in. He says, "I'm a Michigan fan." But I have a feeling that we will get exposed against Michigan State. Our passing game hasn't shown up at all this year, and I get that when you're ahead, running is preferable, but we couldn't pass against Northwestern last week when we tried. If they fall behind against Michigan State, do you think it's a death sentence, or am I overreacting? Here's the good news. Uh, you can always turn to your backup, J.J. McCarthy. He's great. Uh, got somebody, A buddy of mine coached him in high school. JJ McCarthy's awesome. I think that's if the starter doesn't work out very well. I forget his name right now. I don't. I'm, I don't know why I'm blanking on the name. Go to JJ McCarthy. You're fine. Um, here, more on the real focus here is it's a big year for Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh has to prove that it's going to work at Michigan this year. I mean, being skeptical makes a lot of sense because the last two years there's been a real conversation in 2020, in 2019, even 2018, whether or not Jim Harbaugh might get fired. So to go from a guy on the hot seat uh, where people are thinking about you know, him being removed from his job for not succeeding enough, uh, I think it's totally fair to be like, I'm not qu- quite sure that that guy is going to win this year and make it work. And um, I would like to see Jim Harbaugh beat Penn State, beat Michigan State, beat Ohio State, prove everybody wrong, like prove that he deserves it, uh, and, and build something really cool at Michigan. It's, it's hard to win at Michigan. Academics make it really tough. Uh, but that's the storyline, in my opinion, is can Jim Harbaugh prove that he's like the, I don't, I don't know, the, the upper echelon of college football coaches? Is he a guy who wins a lot, but that's it? It's just a lot. Ten wins, that's it. Or is he a guy who can actually elevate Michigan to compete for national titles? We're going to learn a lot about that this year uh, from the Michigan football team. Oliver writes in, Oliver says, and I agree, I disagree with everything Oliver says here. Oliver says, hey, Zach, do you regret reversing your original Seattle prediction? It's looking fairly good right now. Oliver, uh, what? I never reversed my opinion. I said Seattle will go 6-11, and and then they beat Indy week one. I went, huh, that's a surprising win. And I said, let's see what happens. A lot of people wanted me to reverse my opinion and say, oh, Seattle is going to be better than I thought. And I did not. I have not ever said I was wrong about Seattle. Like, let's be clear. I was wrong about Dallas. I was wrong about the Cardinals. I was wrong about the Bengals. I was wrong about who's really... uh, I was probably more right about Kansas City. They're worse than I thought they would, but I didn't think they'd win their division. Trying to think, uh, who else was I right or wrong? I don't remember. There's so many teams. We'll do it in predictions versus reality after the year. But Seattle, I was right about. I said they're too dependent on Russell Wilson. And Russell Wilson gets hurt. What happens? They lose every game. They can't win without him. So I I didn't budge after they won week one. I said, no, let's see what happens. Let's let it play out. I, I intentionally, Oliver, you missed it somehow. I intentionally chose to not change my opinion on Seattle. Ugh! I hate when people mischaracterize what I say. It's like, dang it, man. Now, you're a Patreon supporter. You clearly like like the show. I, I appreciate your dollar. Um, man, I maybe it's more. I, I don't know how much you, you support me on Patreon. But either way, respectfully, Oliver, come on, man. I didn't change my opinion. I did not reverse my opinion on Seattle. And uh, 
makes me a little bit upset that I got accused of that. Like, huh, all right, man. I didn't, but whatever. You mean you mean it well. And you got a little winky face in there. You mean no disrespect, but I am like, come on, man. Come on. I did not. Like the Browns. I probably got the Browns wrong, too. Okay, Matt's card shop writes in. He says, hey, Zach, I've been listening for two and a half years, and your podcast has really helped me learn to love the sport. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate that. Bit of a random question here. Uh, but I collect and do content on sports cards. I was wondering if you've ever collected sports cards or had an interest. Uh, if not, what your Holy Grail sport card would be. Potentially a Tom Brady rookie card, which goes in the millions, perhaps a Joe Burrow rookie autograph card. Thank you, as always, Matt. I used to collect sports cards. I had the binders and the clear, like, you know, the I guess one, two. It was like nine cards by, you know, three by three. And it's a binder. You put them in a the little sleeve, back to back. You can fit twelve cards in it total, and you flip through them. It was really fun. And I, I had every card. I, mostly, I was baseball cards. Is what I collected as a kid. Um, and I think I gave my collection to my grandpa, or I moved. So there, there might be somewhere. I don't know. I, at a point, I got, and I, I get they're valuable to some people. Um, I respect collecting sports cards. To me, it doesn't do anything. Like I. To me, they're kind of just a piece of cardboard, and I know how, like, Matt, I mean, no offense, man, I, I collect video games. I, I have got one, two, three, four, five. Uh, I've got five 54 quarts, like, storage containers in my office full of video games, and, you know, I've got a GameCube, I've got two PlayStation 2s, I've got three Wiis, I've got, like, I've got three PlayStation 3s because I'm an insane person. I, I, I collect video games, and I've spent hundreds of dollars, and I remember working at a car wash, and I would get a paycheck, and I would immediately spend all my money on video games. Like, it's shamelessly, right? That's, that's a fact. I'm looking at it right now. I got an old GameCube um, controller, still in a box, never opened, and most of the games I own, never touched. Like, I want to play Star Fox Adventure someday. You probably never even heard of that game, but I think it looks awesome. I've played, like, 30 seconds, and then I was busy making the show, so I, I was like, it works, okay, don't need to return it. Put it away in a storage container. Haven't touched it since. But I, I have dreams that someday I'll retire or take time off and play all the video games I want to make. And maybe someday I'll make content. I'd, I'd love to make video game content. Um, I, I want to I play Singularity, a game no one's ever heard of, made by Ravensoft, and make a video about it. I think it'd be cool. Like It's, it's this unappreciated gem in the gaming world. So I love video games. And, and most people say I've spent probably too much on games. They don't care. They don't get it. We all have our weird thing we care about. Mine's games. Yours is sports cards. Um, you know, my fiance's is shoes. She loves shoes. We all have our weird thing we collect and we love. And I, I want to be clear, like, even though I don't love sports cards, Matt, uh, I respect that you do. And we all have our one thing. And I, I want to encourage you that, um, do what makes you happy. Do what you love. Life is very short. Uh, I'm probably going to live till I'm 50 and then get a heart attack, uh, because I'm so stressed about my show. Like sometimes I feel like I'm an eternal People that went to college will get this. During finals week, you're like cramming as much information and pulling all-nighters and pounding caffeine. And uh, that's been my life for like five years now, like making as much content as I can. I feel like it's like an eternal finals week. Um, and so I'll probably get a heart attack and die like at 40, 50. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of kidding, kind of not. Uh, but I, I know that, man, like life is very short. So whatever you can do to make this time on our rock easier and better – I don't if it's collecting Tom Brady sports you know cards if it's getting a Joe Burrow autograph card like that if that's your thing you look forward to my thing is I want to play Star Fox Adventure someday whatever your thing is 
pursue that, enjoy it, never feel ashamed about it. And, and who cares what anybody else thinks? Like, Matt, the last thing I hope that happens is you look for validation in other people's opinion. I hope you don't go, man, Zach doesn't like sports cards and then feel guilty and sad about it all day. Who gives a rip, dude? Like, just because I don't care doesn't mean you can't really enjoy it. And as long as you're like, man, this card is sick. I feel great because I look at my stupid Star Fox adventure game that I've never really played. I don't even have a save file on the game. It depresses me. I started it. Didn't even save my game. I just quit. I knew it never. I wouldn't play it for like years. It might not even work. I literally haven't played it in like three years. It might not even work anymore. But whatever your thing is, lean into it, enjoy it, and uh, who cares what anybody else thinks? Okay, Ultimate A writes in and says, Hey, Zach, for Tom Brady's 600th touchdown, his receiver Mike Evans lobbed it to a fan in the stands as a form of celebration. Apparently, the 600th career touchdown ball is an important relic to hang on to. As the Buccaneers had personnel go and hunt the fan down and ask for it back, haha. <laughs> I'm like a I'm like an AI reading uh, stuff on YouTube. Uh, I'm not I'm, I'm not like a voice generated AI, by the way. <laughs> uh, but I think this raises an interesting question: Does a ball does the ball a receiver catches in a historic milestone for their quarterback automatically become organization property, or is it available for the players to dictate if a fan should receive it or not? Also, genuinely curious what your thoughts on this situation are for or against. Wish you were the fan. Uh, let me know. Thanks for your insights. Ultimate A. Okay, a uh, lot to unpack here. This is a very fun, I, I intentionally was like, oh, someone wrote in about on Patreon. I won't, I was going to talk about it during the main show, and I'm like, oh, someone wrote in about it, so we can talk about it here. Uh, here's what the guy, I believe his name was like Devin or something. I, don't, I shouldn't, I should not say that, because I don't actually know what his name was. I saw Tom Brady mention it during Monday Night Football with Peyton Manning and Eli, and I already forgot the guy's name, so why even bring it up? Zach, you don't know the name? Don't answer, don't, don't, don't do that to yourself. Here's what the guy got for giving back Tom Brady's 600th touchdown ball. He got a signed Tom Brady jersey. That's one. Got a signed Mike Evans jersey. That's two. Got Mike Evans game cleats. That's three things. Got a signed ball by Tom Brady. Four. Number five, he got 2020 and 20. I'm sorry, he got 2021 and 2022 season tickets for this year and next year. That's amazing. He got a $1,000 credit at the team store. Oh, and by the way, Tom Brady gave him a Bitcoin signed uh not signed you can't sign a bitcoin but he gave him a bitcoin which is worth about sixty two thousand dollars i would tom brady you want to give me a bitcoin i would love to have one that'd be great i put a down payment on a house <laughs> um so he got one two three four five six seven things and i still think it was a good deal for the buccaneers the buccaneers talked this guy out of giving up the ball they they could like that that ball's probably worth a couple million dollars if not more they gave they, they basically paid a hundred thousand dollars worth of stuff to get that ball. Uh, there's no, as far as I know, there's no unless things have changed since I talked to my last contact about this thing. Um, it's customary, but there's no rule. It's customary to keep the ball, like the Hall of Fame wants it. Maybe Tom Brady wants to put the ball on his shelf someday and go, "That's my special ball for my 600th touchdown pass." Um. So on the black market, that, that ball, uh, that, that jersey, or that, what is it? The, that ball, who knows how much someone would pay for it? Maybe they auction it off someday to make money for some cause. Um, the NFL wants that ball. And, I mean, that probably goes into museum. To me, I, I'm going to be really against the grain here. It's a piece of leather. Who cares? I, 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 love, I love sports. I love Tom Brady. Who cares what a football was used for? I, I, don't, I, don't, 
really find much sentimental value in that kind of stuff. But some people do. Some people will pay lots of money for that kind of thing. Uh, now, my my uh, let let me tell you this: when Sam Darnold started with the Jets, there were like equipment managers who would say, "Hey, when Sam gets his th- first touchdown pass as a member of the Jets, let's keep the ball." So the receivers were all made aware: if you catch a pass from Sam Darnold, and it's the first one of his career, don't throw that ball into the stands. I would imagine. Like when Tom Brady gets to six hundred or to five hundred and ninety nine touchdown passes, the equipment guys go around the, um, like the sideline and go, "Hey, hey, Mike, if you catch Tom Brady's next touchdown pass, hold on to it." And they say it to Antonio Brown, they, they tell everybody that might catch a touchdown pass from Tom Brady, "Hey, by the way, hold on to the ball because that's a special ball with really special significance." I think that's part of why Mike Evans was immediately like, "Oh crap." You told me, and I still gave it away. I got caught so open. I got so caught up in the moment. I gave put the ball to someone in the stands. Dang it! Like, because Mike Evans knew immediately. Like you saw him on on video during the sidelines. He's going like, oh, I gave the ball away. Like you see him like panicking, kind of like, oh crap, I really messed up. So that's how my impression of all that works. Things might have changed, but as far as I can tell, like you're not gonna find somebody for giving the ball away. Like there is no official rule that. You have to hold on to the ball. It's just customary because, hey, that's Tom's football. That's Tom's special thing. He might want to keep it. The team might want to keep it. It might go to the NFL Hall of Fame. Who knows? Um, but And also, like, who am I to say I don't think the ball is valuable? If I'm Tom Brady, I might find the ball very valuable. It's like maybe if I had thrown my 600th touchdown pass in the NFL, I'd be like, I want to hold on to that too. So everything's all relative. Who am I to really know? Um, but those are my thoughts on the situation Ultimate A. Davis writes in, he says, I don't know if it's just me, but this year's class of quarterbacks are disappointing. The two preseason Heisman favorites, DJ Uwe Ungale and Spencer Rattler, are benched or should be benched. Sam Howell has been okay. Malik Willis is a project quarterback. Are there any other NFL quarterbacks in this? Are there any other quarterbacks in this class you even think have a real NFL changing potential in their rookie year? So no, I, I don't know what quarterback is going to step into the NFL next year and be successful immediately. Although I don't know what like, there's not a lot of Joe Burrows around. Like, Joe Burrow, people don't understand. Joe Burrow was the best quarterback prospect maybe since John Elway. Like, nobody nobody understands. People say, oh, Andrew Luck, Trevor Lawrence. Ah, uh, what? Hey, go watch Joe Burrow's senior year at LSU. He embarrassed, embarrassed Alabama and Nick Saban. He was throwing like 60 yard passes to the back shoulder to Justin Jefferson. Like he's did insane stuff. His senior year of college at LSU. I, I, I thought he was a better prospect than Andrew Luck. Like I love Andrew Luck. He never shredded the SEC. He wasn't doing stuff that Joe Burrow was doing his senior year. So part of that is you can't expect, look at like, uh, Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, um, Trey Lance, Justin Fields. Like none of them have done what Joe Burrow did during Joe Burrow's rookie year. Justin Herbert's an anomaly too. No, it, Justin Herbert's rare. Josh Allen really struggled year one of his career. Now he's great now in 2021, three years later. But um, no, I don't know that there's any quarterback who's going to be day one 
have a massive impact on his season, partially because he's going to a bad football team. Now, the guy that you got to pay attention to, Malik Willis, the quarterback at Liberty, he's a project, but so was Josh Allen. Uh, I thought Justin Herbert was. Apparently, he was better than I realized, although we don't know what kind of development he did. Maybe it helped him to not have college classes anymore. Um, like, Malik Willis is tall. He can run. He's got a massive arm. He can do stuff throwing that no one else can do in the draft. Like, he's he's the most talented quarterback in years since since Josh Allen, probably. Uh, I think Kyler Murray is pretty good year one, by the way. Kyler Murray is amazing, too. One of the better quarterbacks I've ever seen in college football. Um, so, look, Malik, Will, uh, Malik Willis better be the number one quarterback drafted in the 2022 NFL draft. Give him some NFL coaching. As long as he's motivated and wants to get better, he's going to be Josh Allen or Justin Herbert level. He's, like, incredible. He's really, really good. Daniel writes in, he says, aren't the Browns sneaky disappointing at four and three and third place in the AFC North? Yeah, they kind of are. Sneaky disappointing is a good way to put it. Because, like, they're the Browns. They're not a good organization. But we all did kind of expect them to be better. Uh, you know, preseason, I had the Browns. I called them, I think, like, the most complete team in the NFL. Like, loaded with talent. And then they got injured. You know, a lot of guys, you know, they're starting. Tackles got hurt. Plus, Baker Mayfield hasn't played great. They're starting quarterback. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's totally fair to call the the Browns um, – like, I wouldn't call them super disappointing, but sneaky disappointing is a good way to put it because they still have a good record. They're they're winning games, but um, they haven't won as much as I thought they would, and the injuries have been crippling and very, very frustrating to see. Okay, final question. Uh, then we'll talk about Formula One at the end of the show. Let me put on some more chapstick. I, uh, I don't know if it's because I sweat more in Hawaii, but I feel like no matter how much water I drink, no matter how much chapstick I use, I can never, ever get fully hydrated, and I can never, ever get my lips unchapped. It's so frustrating. Okay. Jeffrey writes in. He says, Hey, Zach. Had to send this after watching Tom Brady on the Manning cast, and it really does, it really goes to show what kind of guest works that platform. I think he means works on that platform. Tom is clearly, and then in, in bold, watching the game and not just doing an interview with a game on the side. Best guest on the show so far. Uh, Tom was outstanding. I, I really, the, the best guests all year on Peyton and Eli's Monday Night Football have been Russell Wilson the first week and then Tom Brady during the final week, uh, week seven, just recently. Final meaning, like the most recent. Um. I got a multi-million. First of all, the thing Tom Brady and, and Peyton Manning discussed that was really interesting was Peyton said, would you rather face a defense that has mastered one or two things that's really talented? Like they play only cover one and only cover three. So you know what they're doing every play, but they're really good at it. Or would you rather play a team that's got a bunch of exotic blitzes and disguises coverages and stuff like that? And uh, it was a fun conversation because Tom was talking about preparing for a team that blitzes and does crazy stuff versus Sometimes a team lines up in cover three, you know they're running cover three, and you still can't beat it. Um, and I just thought, my thought watching that was, this is a multi-million dollar podcast idea. Like, this would rival Joe Rogan. To have Tom Brady and Peyton Manning talking to each other about football. Imagine if they did a weekly show breaking down the NFL. If Tom Brady's bored when he retires, can I pitch that? Like, I want that so badly. And specifically, Tom and Peyton Manning talking to each other. That would, 
dominate the charts. It would embarrass me. It would make me, I mean, I'm already pretty insignificant in the sports media world. They'd be like, I'm nothing. Why am I, why why do I even show up to my job every day? Because no one's going to listen to my show if Tom Brady's talking about football every Monday. I, I just, man, it'd be so, it'd make so much money. It'd be like the number one, it'd be the Joe Rogan of sports podcasts. It'd be incredible. And, uh. I feel like maybe LeBron would do something like that. LeBron has, uh, like, you know, the barbershop. So that's interesting there. But, man, I got to say, I just I just think that I don't know that Tom Brady wants to do media afterward. I, I hope he does. I, I hope that Tom Brady does some kind of podcast or a radio show or a TV show. Uh, like, Peyton doesn't need the money, but he does it still. I mean, I think Peyton likes talking about football. He's going to watch the game anyway and take notes. He might as well do it in front of a live audience. So, man, if there's a will, there's a way. I want to make it happen that Tom Brady, it would probably put me out of business, but I, because <laughs> uh, no one's ever going to watch me after knowing that exists. But I, I so badly want Peyton Manning talking to Tom Brady about football every week. That would be, oh my gosh, it'd be incredible. It'd be, my, it'd be the best show ever. I, I would watch that in a heartbeat. It'd be fantastic. It'd be interesting. It'd be fun. It'd be entertaining. The stories they could tell, um, that, that's that's the show I want when Tom Brady retires. Okay, final topic of the day. We're going to talk about Formula One. You can skip it if you want to. You have my permission. It's very easy. You just turn off the show because we're at the end. Uh, if, if you want to say sayonara, love you, goodbye. I don't know. What's, what does sayonara mean? I think it's I think it's Japanese for goodbye. Sayonara uh, meaning. Means goodbye in Japanese. Yeah. Ha <laughs> ha. I'm smarter than I look, which is not uh, not that smart. Uh, okay, Formula One, you've ha- you've been warned. You can get out if you want to. We just had the United States Grand Prix uh, at the Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas, just outside of Austin, Texas. I gotta say, it was pretty interesting. Like usually, I watch F1 races at 6 a.m. and uh, then I moved to Hawaii. Actually, then at 3 a.m. Like they, it's been. Middle of the night is when F1 races happen. It was a bit jarring to have an F1 race not happen during the early morning. I'm like, oh, I mean, it's in a, the American time zone. It's very different for me. I'm like, whoa, this is kind of weird, kind of unsettling, a little bit different. And uh, it was also kind of cool to see. I've never watched an F1 race happen in America before. It kind of – this sounds so dumb, but it really did make me tear up. I'm like, man, this is really cool. And I, I felt this sense of, like, pride, and I, I totally get it now. When people in Italy have the Italian Grand Prix, they like they and I had a lot of messages from people saying like, "Zach, are you at the U.S. Grand Prix?" Like, no, I'm not, dude. I, I probably live closer to Japan than I do to Texas. Like, I live in the middle of the ocean, super far away. I I live in America, but not really. But uh, man, I I want to go to. I think next year is at Miami. I want to go to Miami and go to. I think Miami's a better location anyway. No offense to Texas, but Miami sounds more exotic and cool. Uh, I want to go to Miami next year and go to the F1 race. I, I'll, I'll take the cheapest seat they have. It's probably still really expensive, but me and my fiance will go. We'll find my buddy Caleb down there who lives in Orlando, and I like I want to make that happen. I really want to go to the F1 race next year in uh, in in in, in uh, Miami, Florida. Anyway, this was a very very technical race that relied very heavily on time, you know, tire strategy and track positioning. Max Verstappen won. Lewis Hamilton got second. Uh, Sergio Perez got third. Lewis Hamilton also got fastest lap, by the way. That gives him another point in the World Championship uh, race. And then you have, uh, so Red Bull with Max Verstappen, Mercedes with Lewis Hamilton, 
Red Bull again with Lewis, uh, uh, with Sergio Perez in third. Then in fourth for Mercedes, you have Charles Leclerc. In fifth for McLaren, Daniel Ricciardo. Then the other Mercedes driver, Valtteri Bottas, got sixth. Seventh was Carlos Sainz for Ferrari. And then in eighth place, Atlanta Norris driving for McLaren. There were really only three big interesting battles that grabbed my attention. Like, there was a moment where, gosh, um, Kimi Raikkonen and Fernando Alonso was really fun. I mean, they, they weren't really, they're not really fighting for anything. In fact, you know, Esteban Ocon retired for Alpine and later um, Fernando Alonso had to retire with a rear wing issue, which I don't really understand how that happens, but whatever. Uh, but that was another, like, that's probably like the fourth most interesting battle was Kimi Raikkonen versus Fernando Alonso. Fernando Alonso, man, races his butt off. He's so good. And I I would kill to see Fernando Alonso drive in, like, a better car. Imagine if Fernando Alonso drove for Mercedes. I mean, it'd be so interesting because he's clearly so much more talented than his car allows him to, to compete. Like, he's better than the level his car allows him to compete at. But the three big battles in the U.S. Grand Prix were, number one, Max versus Lewis battling for, first of all, the win in this race, but also... Uh, ultimately, they're fighting for the F1 title against each other. Then you have McLaren and Ferrari. They're battling for third in the Constructors' Championship. And they are, I mean, they are neck and neck. And you know, they, they really, interestingly, like, just all game, the, the four drivers, uh, two for each team, are just trading positions and, tr- you know, fighting and passing each other. And the majority of the action in this race was Mercedes, was McLaren and Ferrari just trading spots and positioning battles. And it was super interesting to me. And then number three, to a lesser extent, you had Red Bull versus Mercedes. Mercedes is way ahead of Red Bull in the constructor standings, but there is still some possibility if Valtteri Bottas is really bad and Sergio Perez keeps getting on the podium that Red Bull could eventually pass Mercedes and, and get the world title ahead of them for the Constructors' Cup, although that's a very slim chance. Now, the way Max won in this race was he undercut Lewis Hamilton. Max took a pit stop early during lap 29 of 56, Uh, Sergio Perez, the other Red Bull driver, pitted on lap 31. Lewis Hamilton did not take a pit stop until lap 37. So eight laps after Max pitted, you finally had Lewis come in to take a pit stop. And pitting early gave Max better track positioning, a little more clear air on the track. And the question was, would Max's tires hold up until the end of the race? And that takes me to a question on Patreon. Caleb writes in, uh, you can write in on Patreon as well. Go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Shamla. Caleb says, hey, Zach, I really enjoyed the U.S. Grand Prix. Me too. I hope we can go together to Florida someday. He said, that happened over the weekend. I don't think you watched the race yet, but if you do or when you do, what was your favorite moment of the race on or off track? This season has been very satisfying. Totally agree. What an incredible year. Uh, people want to talk about this year isn't as good as, and they say like 2012 or whatever. And I'm like, ah, fair enough. I, 2016 was also interesting with, um, Lewis and, uh, gosh, what's, I always, always blank on his name. What is that guy's name? Dragon's Den. He's blonde. Uh, Dragon's Den Mercedes driver. What is his name? Uh, nope. Nico Rosberg. I can never, that's like the fourth time on the show I've forgotten Nico Rosberg's name. I'm like, dang it. Why do I always do that? Um, anyway, great year of driving. Totally agree, Caleb. So the final 10 laps were my favorite moment of this race. It was amazing. Uh, th- there was a small gap between Max Verstappen in first and Lewis Hamilton in second. It started with 10 laps to go. It was a 2.8 second gap. Uh, and that gap got steadily smaller and smaller and smaller as the race went on. And it was tense. It was fun. 
this wasn't a crazy eventful race. Like, thank goodness for Mercedes, for McLaren and McLaren and Ferrari were passing each other left and right. Like them battling for position with each other and, and you know, them getting overtakes was really fun because that brought some source of entertainment other than just watching Lewis like drive a little bit behind Max Verstappen the whole time. But there was tension. It kind of reminded me of the the Super Bowl between the Patriots and the Rams a couple of years ago where it was a defensive battle and you felt this sense of at any moment something could happen that would make a big play in this game. And and, and that, that was the Super Bowl when I watched playoff baseball. Uh, you know, late in the game, when you get a runner on second base, you're like, man, if a, a base hit is hit right now, that runner is going to score from second and a one run lead right now would be monumental. So every little detail in a race like this, whether it's a, a pit stop or uh, maybe you you spin out a little bit, you lose your back end, you fishtail, you can't lose any time. And when you have Lewis hunting down Max Verstappen, Max has to be perfect. The pressure's on like you Man, I play this stupid game. I play Hot Wheels Unleashed on my Xbox One. And those races are crazy fun because you got to hit every corner just right. And you got to, as you drift around a corner, if you slip up and hit the wall, you're going to get past and you probably won't be able to make your spot up again. I play on the really hard difficulty. Imagine that, but like dialed up to a thousand. That's what this is. Like Max Verstappen had to be perfect to not allow any more room for Lewis Hamilton to continue to gain on him. Uh, And... That it just felt like a tense thriller. This race, where I watched Max get a, a like a a two point nine second pit stop, and I'm like, I remember thinking like, oh no, what if that's too long? Like, what if that hurts him later? Like, because that just it all adds up. And man, it, th- this tension of will Max catch up to Lewis? And I, I I admit I was rooting for Max, but um, if you're a Lewis fan, you're on the opposite side, going, is is Lewis going to catch Max? Hoping like. Every, you're just hoping that Max makes a, a false step here or there or runs wide somewhere a little bit and that leaves room for Lewis to make up a little bit of time or maybe a pit stop is like a second long or what like there's all these little details in F1 that are so technical and they all add up to what makes a outstanding race and that was a total team effort for Max Verstappen now the results of this race Max Verstappen got first place uh Lewis Hamilton got second so now in Formula One here are the driver's standings First, right now in Formula 1, Max Verstappen has 287.5 points. Uh, second is Lewis Hamilton with 275.5 points. Max has a 12-point advantage over Lewis. Uh, then there's, like, Valtteri Bottas is third. He's, like, I think a whole 25 points ahead of— It's 25 or 35 points ahead of Sergio Perez. I don't really care about after, anything after Max and Lewis. There are five races left. You get uh, 25 points for a victory, 18 points for second place— uh, plus, uh, one point is out there up for grabs from getting the fastest lap. So, man, I mean, it's neck and neck. Any one of these two guys can win right now in Formula 1 still. Five races left. You have Mexico, Brazil, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and Abu Dhabi. And Max is in the driver's seat, for lack of a uh, pardon the pun. Uh, but Max has control right now in Formula 1. If he wins out or wins a couple more races and can build that gap, you know, seven points at a time or six points at a time, over Lewis, uh, maybe eight points if you get if you win and get the fastest lap. See what what would that be? That would be that would be an eight point victory uh, over Lewis. Like Max is trying to build that gap and, and continue to gain, uh, make the lead even wider between Lewis Hamilton and himself. Lewis is trying to win now, and, and it's it's so tense, it's so fun, it's so exciting to me. I like I. Oh man, it, it's such a good F one season. I'm having such a blast, and. Um, 
I don't know, man. I just, I think it's beautiful what's happening. And the margins are so narrow. Like people that don't watch racing don't get it. Every pit stop, I hold my breath and go, what if they screw up here? What if a tire gets stuck on Max for too long? And he, you can't afford to have a, a 10 second stop there. Like it, it just, it's crazy to me, man. I, I love it so much. And, uh, the battle between Max and Lewis is great. The battle between McLaren and Ferrari is also really great. Uh, the 3.5 points separate those two teams. So the constructors or the team standings right now in F1, you have Mercedes is in first with 460.5 points. Then Red Bull is in second with 437.5 points. In theory, if Valtteri Bottas keeps struggling, and he didn't, he got a five-place grid penalty, so I would imagine he'll be fighting for a podium spot next race. Um but although Valtteri Bottas does not have the same ability to go from the back to the front that other drivers like Lewis and Max do. That's the difference between uh, them and skill. So Red Bull has a shot if, if Valtteri Bottas has a couple slip-ups in qualifying. It's conceivable they could catch Mercedes by the end of the year, but it's not really a—I a, don't, I don't think Red Bull even cares about beating Mercedes for the Constructors' Championship. They'd like to. But what they want is Max to win the world title. Like they want Max to beat Lewis. That's what I think Red Bull is really focused on. So— uh, Mercedes, 460.5 points. Red Bull, 437.5 points. And then the battle for third. McLaren is currently in third. They've got 254.5 points. Sorry, no, not even 0.5. McLaren is 254 points in F1. Ferrari is 250.5. 3.5 points separate these two teams. And at the U.S. Grand Prix, McLaren got fifth and eighth. Ferrari got fourth and seventh. I mean, it's just tight, neck and neck, the battle for third place. Really fun drama. Uh, on top of Max and Lewis, because Max and Lewis is great, but to have another storyline to follow in F1 that's also exciting, that it, it really makes me very happy. Uh, it's an underrated thing about this year. Everyone talks about Lewis and Max, but don't forget McLaren versus Ferrari. That lot of money on the line, a lot of prize money, a uh, lot of reputation, stuff like that's a really fun battle, and I'm leaning into it. I mean, it's just, it's another reason. Like, this is a, a year that's unsung and, and unappreciated, I think, a little bit, because it's not all about Max and Lewis. The battle between McLaren and Ferrari is also really good. And uh, I just, man, man, oh man, I'm having the time of my life following Formula One this year. Guys, I'm going to throw the papers in the air. Yeah, I love you. I appreciate you. Hope you have a great day. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Um, have a great day. I appreciate you. Take care. I will see you very soon. I'm interviewing a guy tomorrow about the Colts. Uh, until next time, but um, bum, bam, we are done. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Bye, y'all.